Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks for bringing your Bibles. If you have them, we're going to look at the uh, classic traditional Christmas story this morning from Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 21 verses there. It will be familiar to you, I'm sure. We're uh, in this Advent series here at Union Chapel, anticipating the coming of Christ. We're talking about some of our favorite things, and we have rehearsed the notion that God loves a party. And last week, we rehearsed that God loves to express his love. And today, we want to remind ourselves that God loves to start small. And from there, he does great things. So Luke chapter 2, this morning, I'm going to read verses 1 to 21. I'll invite you to stand as you're able to hear these important words. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Beth Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Then on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. May God inspire us today through this beautiful story. You may be seated. All right, I love puns, and this will make you think a little bit, so are you ready? Let's, let's see if you can figure any of these out. If you, if you th know the answer, you have to shout it out, all right? Here we go. What did the gingerbread man put on his bed? A cookie sheet is right. <laughs> How did Scrooge win the football game? The ghost of Christmas passed. <laughs> what did Adam say the day before Christmas? It's Christmas, Eve. What is green covered with tinsel and says, ribbit, ribbit? A mistletoe. <laughs> what do Christmas trees and bad knitters have in common? They both drop their needles. Very good. What would you get if you ate the Christmas decorations? Tinselitis, of course. 
What do you call people who are afraid of Santa Claus? Claustrophobic is correct. Very good. <laughs> Why did they ask the turkey to join the band? He had the drumsticks. What did the salt say to the pepper? Season's greetings. Why wasn't the turkey hungry at Christmas time? He was stuffed. If athletes get athlete's foot, what do astronauts get? Mistletoe is correct. What do you get when you cross a Christmas tree with a Macintosh? A pineapple. <laughs> what is a parent's favorite Christmas carol? Silent Night, of course. What language does Santa Claus speak? North Polish. Where does Santa Claus go swimming? The North Pool. Uh, what kind of motorcycle would Santa ride? A Holly Davidson, of course. What is Santa Claus's favorite cereal? Frosted Flakes. How do Santa and Mrs. Claus travel? <laughs> On an icicle built for two. If Santa and Mrs. Claus had a baby, what would he be? A subordinate clause. Why does Santa have three gardens? <laughs> yeah, when Santa has a barn dance, what does he call it? Ho, ho, ho down. What do you call an elf who sings? A rapper. <laughs> Come on. What do elves have to learn before they can read? The alphabet. If Santa rides in a sleigh, what do elves ride in? Minivans. Who, who makes toy guitars and sings Blue Christmas? Elphus. What did the reindeer say before beginning his comedy routine? This will slay you. <laughs> what does a reindeer do when he has an upset stomach? He takes an Elka seltzer. Here's the last one. You're welcome. What do, you, what do you call a reindeer who wears earmuffs? Anything you want, he can't hear you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. See, there you are. One of my favorite uh, apologists for the Christian faith is Ravi Zacharias. He's a favorite of many. He wrote a book entitled Questions I'd Like to Ask God. In the book, he referenced this uh, uh, anecdote from the life of Larry King, uh, the TV and radio personality. And King, in a particular interview, was asked one time, if you could select any one person across all of history to interview, who would it be? And Larry King said, I'd like to interview Jesus Christ. And the interviewer pushed him a little bit further and said, what would you ask him? And King said, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. And the answer to that question, he said, would define history for me. When Ravi Zacharias asked for King's permission to put this little anecdote in his, in his book, King responded to him and said, yes, you can use it. And by the way, I wasn't being facetious. I mean that. If Jesus Christ really was virgin born, it would change the way I see the world. 
Well, we read from the Gospel of Luke today, the very clear response that Luke would give to the question, was Jesus virgin born? And that is a clear and definite yes. And we, what we learn from this notion is that the coming of the Son of God is, in Jesus Christ is not a human effort. This is a God thing. This is a supernatural thing. It is a supranatural thing. It's something that's over the natural order. And so we are reminded that Jesus is one of us, but he is also from the other side. There's something special about that boy. And so the two bookends that are remarkable about Jesus' life are these miracles. Now, now, now think about this. You have the virgin birth on one end of his life and the bodily resurrection at the conclusion of his life. And here we see the miraculous the poignancy of the miraculous work of God in our world. Uh, and so what I would say to us as we think about Christmas is that if you don't believe in a God who occasionally interferes and intervenes into what often looks like a pretty closed cause and effect world, uh, simply and merely a natural cause and effect kind of world, then it's going to be difficult for you to grasp the substance of the Christian faith because the Christian faith has about it the miraculous. In fact, if God can't touch creation, if he can't reach in and touch the world in which we live and alter it according to his will from time to time, then it begs the question, how could God possibly ever touch us? How could God touch you? If he can't touch the world miraculously, then how can he reach through and touch our lives and make a difference in our lives? Fact is, what we believe as Christians is that God still messes with the created order. It is soft to his touch. He is Lord over history and he is Lord within history. And so we pick up the Christmas narrative, this wonderful story of the coming of God in human flesh, and we will see that Luke, here in chapter 2, intends for us to understand something about the power of God that comes into the world and is not only in the world in Jesus, but he is still in the world through the presence of his Holy Spirit and available to minister to us and to touch us at the point of our need. We also learn from this narrative, this Christmas story, the meaning of faith in Christ and why it's important to pursue Jesus in intentional ways. And then we will learn at the very end the importance of community and the covenant that God calls us all together to participate in. Let's consider these three things then. First, about the power of God, and I hope this encourages you. Luke presents us with these com comparisons, these contrasts between the imperial power of Rome through Caesar Augustus, all the way down to the lowliest forms of power which are represented by this baby, this humble, needy, vulnerable baby. And asks the question in this stark contrast of powers, which power is more substantial? Which is more significant? Which is uh, the power that you should rely on most in your life? And so the backdrop of this story is Jesus' birth. But uh, there is the hungry coffers of the emperor who orders a census, the census to be taken in the entire known world for the purpose of raising taxes. This wasn't so Caesar Augustus would know how many folks he had in the empire. This was so he could effectively tax everyone and uh, fill the coffers of Rome. 
Now, could I just say that there's not much changed in the world uh, all these years? He also contrasts these two types of powers. I mentioned the real world power of Caesar who makes people do things at his own decree or his own whim, depending on his mood, and the real world power of God. We have in Caesar this coercive power, this, uh, this uh, uh, insistent power. In God, we have this graceful, loving invitation, which is representative of his power. Caesar pulls the strings and the world jumps. But Caesar does not know the God who pulls his strings so that Messiah could actually be born in the right place at the right time. The prophets, the prophets of Israel had foretold the birth of Messiah would occur in the city of David. His place of origin, Bethlehem. And so how do you, how do you get this uh, pregnant virgin Mary and her betrothed husband Joseph to Bethlehem, 85 miles from where they're living? Well, he uses Caesar to get that accomplished. So Jesus, we know, will ultimately change the whole inhabited world. Indeed, six times in these 21 verses we've just read, we find the word all. All the people, all the world, all, 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 all. Meaning that God is going to do something through the life of this baby that will affect everyone, ultimately. Everybody in the world. I uh, am reminded of the familiar spiritual song, He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got, you know that one, don't you? Will you sing it with me? Let's sing together. He's got the whole world in his hands. 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 Some of the verses, he's got you and me, brother. He's got you and me, sister. He's got the black and the white. He's got the rich and the poor. He's got everybody here. Let's sing that one. He's got everybody here in his hands. He's got everybody here in his hands. He's got everybody here in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. So hear the sounds of Christmas. Listen for the sounds. We hear the voice of the world's most powerful man reading an edict in Latin and then commanding his staff to carry it out. The sounds of quill pens now scratching on papyrus, this mandate, this, this, this edict that will create a census in the entire empire, then the stamp on the hot wax, the, the, the impression made from Caesar himself, then hoof bit, beats on the cobblestones as administrators scatter to the far-flung corners of the Roman Empire, uh, spreading out like tentacles around the Mediterranean. Weeks later, a dusty official dismounts, greets Quirinius in far-flung Syria with a hail Caesar and news from Rome of the need for new taxes. Some lesser functionary then makes his way to Galilee where village by village the notice is posted, the penalties lined out for Jews who do not register in their ancestral homes. Finally, a young carpenter, Joseph, and his pregnant wife load provisions for the 85-mile journey south to Joseph's ancestral home. Days pass. Labor begins. The sweat and the screams and the blood of birth. Village women, probably as attentive midwives on the scene, when the baby is born, they cry out, it's a boy. It's a boy. Blessed be the God of Israel. 
a wrinkled red baby stretching his lungs for the first time. Can you hear him? Cleaned up, nursed, wrapped in bands of cloth, laid in a feeding trough because there's no room. And these are the sounds of Christmas. But notice the step-by-step downward movement from the steps of power in Rome to the powerless one, from the top to the bottom, from Rome to Bethlehem, from Caesar Augustus all the way down to this humble, vulnerable baby. Now I want to put a question on the screen because I want you to get this. This is so important for us. Where is real power? Where is it? The palace of a man people thought was a god or the cradle of the God who became a man? The power of title, position, or the one who has neither? Where is real power? And let me just assure you this morning that if you can find the answer to that question, then you will find the means to live this life and the next with a sense of victory and hope. If you can get the answer to that question and get it settled in your own mind, in your own heart, then you will have the resource you need to live this life well and to expect a hopeful life to come. Uh Uh-huh. There was a time during the most horrible persecutions of Jews by the Nazis in Poland that an old Jewish cemetery keeper came into the cemetery one morning and found a young woman who had given birth, had laid down in the middle of the night in an open grave and had given birth to a son. She was dead. And he gathered up that baby and took it to try to care for it. And he said to himself and then to others that day, he said, this must be the Messiah. For only the Messiah could choose to be born in a grave. Poignant story, isn't it? The truth of which that cemetery keeper spoke is absolutely accurate. Only the Messiah of God could choose to be born in a grave. Only a God who loves as our God loves could come into the midst of the pain and the death and the shame of this world and bring hope and bring peace, bring grace. Appreciate the lowliness of it. Appreciate that. Especially when you think about the power necessary to to make it through your life. I don't know about you, but from time to time in my life, I find myself in a really low spot. This is a low spot. I, my faith wanes. You know, I, you know, I am hesitant to tell you these things for fear of what you might think about me. But there are moments in my life when I just wonder if I have any faith at all. Sometimes it's a, about my own personal life and my own personal attitudes and condition. Other times it's in the context of our life here together and You know, it was my idea, as I thought and prayed about this for weeks and weeks, it's my idea to come up with this Christmas offering deal. You know, it's $10,000 for the Christmas store. Last last year, Blood and Fire ministered to 250 families through the Christmas store. It's just remarkable. And then it was my idea to uh, embrace and adopt this Habitat build for Jolene and her family and another $30,000 to raise that. You know, the day that you make that decision seems like a good idea, right? But then you, but then you start trusting God, and you just wonder, wonder and, and sometimes I, I waver, I wonder. Um, we set these bold and audacious goals, and you believe God's with you, and it, it seems good on Sunday, doesn't it? 
Monday morning, though, Monday morning, it's not always easy, is it? I have to give myself a talking to from time to time. You know, the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Maybe you're in a place right now where you need to talk to yourself. Could I just uh, give you a little window into how I manage my, my doubts and, and my weakness? I, I have a little speech I give myself, and it includes uh, a few points in typical preaching style. I, I talk to myself in three points. <laughs> Maybe you need to preach to yourself. Well, I'm, you say, I'm not a preacher. Well, listen, you don't have to preach to anybody else, just to yourself. But here's, what, here's some of the things I say. I remind my, myself that Jesus is with me. He, I mean, he's with me. Jesus actually said to us, he said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And I think about, well, okay, Jesus is with me, but what benefit is that? There's a lot of benefit because when you think about power, you know, the, the stuff you need to make it through, the energy of life to keep moving forward in an honorable way, Jesus said, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I mean, that's all of it. All power has been given to me. And he said, look, I'm with you. I'm with you. So that's a good reminder, isn't it? I remind myself that Jesus is with me. Could I encourage you to do that? Remind yourself Jesus is with you because he is. And another thing that I remind myself is that God is at the bottom because it is a, a fact that God actually loves to start small. He, he actually appreciates, he enjoys that, he, he goes there. He, he tends to go to the low spot. And I remind myself that if I'm in a low spot and I'm discouraged or I am weak and I am in some circumstance where I am completely and totally without, without uh, any kind of merit aside from God's presence, I remind myself that in the low spots, God is still there. In fact, that's, where, that's one of his favorite places to be. And the Bible promises that underneath us, even in the lowest spot underneath us, are the everlasting arms. So God is in the low place. God is, God is in the bottom spots. And I remind myself of that. It doesn't, doesn't matter how low I go, God is there. And could you be encouraged with that too? And here's the last thing I usually say to myself is, I have faith for this. I have faith for this. God has given me a measure of faith, and I have faith for this. And what I've discovered over these 40 year, years of serving God is that God always, this is a good statement right here. You should respond positively. God always provides more than enough to meet the need. God always provides more than enough to meet the need, no matter what that need is. And that's really great. So I will not fear. I will not fear. Jesus is with me. He has all power. God is at the bottom. He loves to start small. Underneath are his everlasting arms. And I have faith for this. God always provides more than enough. I will not be afraid. God will see me through. Yeah. And so that's where the real power lies in life. And we see these powers contrasted so poignantly in the Christmas story. Caesar Augustus with all this muscle strength and this lowly baby. But if you'll settle in your own mind and heart where the real power lies, you'll have the means you need to make it through life. Yeah. Then there's this uh, a second scene, if you will, in the Christmas story. And it's with these shepherds and their adventure of faith. 
And this deal is an adventure of faith. And we all know what happens when angels show up. People freak out. <laughs> they flip out. They're terrorized by it. And these shepherds are no different. And they're on the hillside, and the angel shows up, and, uh, you know, they, uh, they are shocked. And they hear this message. And they hear the mandate to go and to, and to check it out. I want to put a statement on the screen. I'll remind you that uh, the angel didn't lecture these guys, didn't call for their repentance. You know, these shepherds were, were not upper crust in the culture. They were, they were considered sinners, real serious sinners. And so you get, you get no moral, moralization from the angel toward these guys. Just, just a go and check it out mandate. And, and here's what I want to say to you. What the angel announces cannot be verified apart from personal searching. That was true for the shepherds 2,000 years ago, and it is true for you and me. That what the angels announce, glad tidings of a great joy, which is for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this is the sign you will find. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Now go and check it out. The message has been delivered. The good news of the gospel of hope has been offered to us. And now it is incumbent upon each one of us to check it out. To embrace the adventure of faith. The adventure of faith. There's an interlude at this moment in the life of this story where an angelic choir appears. And they begin to sing, glory to God in the highest. And it's, and it's peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. You see, you see actually an equation in this anthem sung by the angelic choir. You see an equation that, that brings us to wholeness. First, glory to God in the highest. This vertical worship and adoration and glory that is given to God for this wonderful gift. And then peace on earth. Do you understand that those are, are an indissoluble whole? These two things. The worship of God, the glory of God, the connection with God vertically, and then the peace of God that that connection brings to humanity, to wholeness. You do understand that God wants us to be whole. He wants us to be whole persons at every level of our lives. He wants us to love ourselves appropriately, to be uh, self-esteemed, appropriately and he wants us to be in healthy whole relationships with others our family and our friends in other relationships he wants us to be whole and on balance and at peace with the created world around us that we are to steward this uh, eco ecological world to bring harmony to it uh, it's a beautiful place that God has given us to live and so he calls us to wholeness but ultimately listen to me carefully the hunger for wholeness and peace in your life, in any human being's life, will be frustrated unless it acknowledges the divine source of life and you're willing to give God praise. Without the vertical glory to God, you cannot realize the peace that passes understanding. These two are together. All of the therapies, all of the support groups, all of the, uh, the modern medical technologies that are available to try, to try to bring us to balance will be frustrated unless and until we also include the vertical 
connection with the God who has made us. This is an important, this is an important mandate that comes in the Christmas story. Glory to God in the highest, then peace on earth. So praising God and meeting human needs, those things go together. What brings God glory is good for all of God's children. And what's good for God's children brings glory to God. And there it is. It's an adventure of faith. Now that leads us to this last anecdote here in the story. Most of you uh, around your families, around the holidays, in just a few days at Christmas, you will more than likely read this passage from Luke chapter 2. It is the most popular and most traditional Christmas reference. Perhaps you'll have a young person in your family read from Luke chapter 2, and you'll have to help them pronounce Chironius and all those moments that you have built in your family's traditions. Most of you will end the reading at verse 20, but you stop too soon because verse 21 is also very important. I encourage you to include it in your reading as we have done today. And the point I want to make is the importance of connection. The, the point that I have on the outline there is covenant and community. Most of us, most of us tend to stop at verse 20, but verse 21, this is the eighth day after the birth, and then Jesus, like all Jewish boys, experienced circumcision. Now you'll remember that circumcision is the sign of his entry into God's ancient covenant community, covenant with Abraham. This is the symbol, the sign that God used with Abraham to depict his covenantal relationship with them. And so what we learn from this is that Jesus now has been grafted. Jesus has been, gra Jesus has been grafted in to a tradition with an ongoing religious community. Now here's, here's the, the thought, the point I want to make as we conclude this message. I'll put it on the screen for you. If the Son of God needed to be a visible part of God's people, then so do all of us. Let that soak in, covenant and community. If Jesus needed to be connected in covenant relationship with the community of God's people, then so do we. Uh, this do-it-yourself and go-it-alone spiritualities, as popular as they are in our day, they're always eccentric, they're off-center, and inevitably become warped. Jesus was part of a covenant community, and therefore we should be part of a covenant community. Faith is formed as we are loyal to a community that carries the larger tradition of faith. You cannot, you cannot be Christian without the community called the church. It's, just, it's incongruent. And so God calls us to be connected. So let me just say in conclusion, I'm not worried about keeping Christ in Christmas. I mean, the church has never forgotten the reason for the season, and neither have you. Uh, the covenant community that, that we are called to, the church, is actually formative to us at the level of our faith and a great encouragement along the way. For example, some of you came in the room today. I just, I just imagine some of you came in the room today and you were uncertain about your walk with God. And Christmas for you is as much confusion as it is peace giving. 
But you've heard the word of God today. And you've been encouraged to know that God is with you, even in a low spot, even in a confusing spot. And you have hope if you'll pursue the Prince of Peace. So more than sentimentality, more than just good feelings and warmth around friends, our faith is founded on the substance of Jesus Christ and his entrance into the world. And so we say together, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Amen? All right, stand up with me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, this powerful narrative that reminds us of the coming of your son, Jesus Christ. We look to him now as our source, our life, our hope. It is from him that we gain the power we need to live our lives and to prepare for eternity. Thank you that all power has been given to Jesus. And as we pursue him in this adventure of faith, we will find the hope and the peace we need. And now, Lord, remind us of how important it is to be grafted in to a community of faith where we are nurtured together in your word and by your spirit to be all that you've called us to be. Thank you, God, for this powerful story and the way it impacts our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said.